Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. How are you doing? I give a shit. You know what? It's a little hot out here today. Amazing. We got summer going on. There we there we go. Anyway, I'm so glad you tuned in. Thanks for listening to Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. You know me. I'm a self-proclaimed psychotherapist with a very big mouth. Um, thanks for listening. I'm here every Thursday, 2 to 3. And you know what? You are so lucky because you're listening to the greatest radio station in the Western Hemisphere. I've checked all of them, and this is literally Radio Free Brooklyn is the best. So I want to encourage you to go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Check us out. Look at all. We have amazing programming of everything of like things that you couldn't even imagine we have programming for that. So whatever you, whatever your thing is, besides, of course, it's this, but anything, any kind of music, whatever you want. Um, don't forget to go to the donation page and give us some money, buy a t-shirt, you know, come on. All right, well, I have this really amazing guest today. Actually, I don't usually like to have friends on because this is, it's usually like I already know them and I'm afraid of like asking them really personal shit because I already know a lot of the answers. <laughs> but I have a very close friend on today and we're going to talk about a topic that we haven't discussed. Um, just because we're usually busy doing other things when, not ha- when we're hanging out. But um, anyway, Holly Dorito. And um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're gonna meet her in a second. But first, I have something else that is super, super, super important. I am doing a live show a week from today. Okay, and I would love if you would come see it because it's it's gonna be incredible. It's gonna be incredible. Here's the deal. So I have two comedians and one visual artist, right? And what I do is I do a speed therapy session on them after they do their set. And in the case of the visual artist, she's going to do a presentation of her work. And that way you can find out what their real story is and what's really going on and what they were thinking when they made the work and all that. And you can like, you know, we can get the dirt on them. So I'm sort of like turning this like fun show into like a gossip festival. I mean, you could say that, or maybe it'll just be some insights, let's hope. And they have really cheap um, drinks. So it's called Stand Up, Lie Down, and it's at the City Reliquary, which is 370 Metropolitan Avenue in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, It's near the L. Lorimer Stop. City Reliquary is a great, small, Civic New York City Museum, and they have amazing exhibitions there and live shows. So, and you know what else? Guess who the headliner is? You're not going to believe it. Christian Finnegan. He was on the show about a month ago and he agreed to do it. So, we're going to have him, Shakir Stanley, and Tara Lewis, who just completed um, a show of visual art portraits of Brooke Shields and Brooke Shields' grown daughters. It's really like a hot, it's amazing. So go to um, 
the city reliquary tickets with friends go to my uh ticketswithfriends.co is you know look it up on there stand up lie down or you can go to any of my social media accounts and find tickets there okay there we did that so um okay now holly we're getting to holly okay so holly dorito is a very very original special delightful and um I don't even know how to describe her. A thoughtful, um, creative. She's. I don't. I keep thinking big personality, but she's. She's not really because she is very. She's not loud, but her presence is always felt, and she has a lot of fans because mostly she's known for the founder and director of Waggy. Tail Rescue, which I think of her as a Schindler of dogs. <laughs> She's been saving dogs for how long, Holly? Um, officially, my rescue has been around since 2004, but thanks to an awesome mom, um, basically since the time I was born. Okay. Yeah. So Holly grew up in small town, Pennsylvania, rural Pennsylvania, and she had animals around all the time. And, you know, her mom, I guess, you know, you had, but, um, I know Holly very, very well. I've known her since like 2003. We went and rescued. I helped her. I assisted her rescuing dogs from a uh, shelter in Tijuana, Mexico last year during the pandemic, which was amazing. Particularly to me, it's just a story of Holly's life, just routine for her. So um, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff today so um holly hi did i did i did i uh did i cover everything is there anything that we missed absolutely you're perfect okay as always oh shut up (laughs) shut up holly uh so anyway holly has worked as a dominatrix and we're going to talk to holly because she learned how to train horses then she learned how to train humans and now she's back to mostly training dogs. But Holly and I have never really had a deep discussion with details about her her times that she has been a dominatrix and I don't really know much about that. So I think it'll be really interesting. But why don't we start off, Holly, by telling us about like how your upbringing got you into training horses and stuff like that. Well, I grew up um, like in Pennsylvania and I was obsessed with horses as a child and I started riding at the age of seven and um, my family took in an abandoned Appaloosa horse. We had a little farm and um, he was kicked off a thoroughbred farm where he was dumped after a divorce and they said he was the ugliest horse they had ever seen. So we were like, yeah, that's our horse. And he was the ugly duckling outcast, and I trained him to be second state champion hunter jumper um, two years in a row. Fuck, I didn't even know that. That's, yeah. So, did you feel like you feel like you had um, at age seven you had like a way of understanding him and intuit intuition? Yeah, I mean, I was I guess I was around ten or eleven when we got him, and then my first job was really um, when I was fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. I used to go to the stable and I was able to handle all of the difficult horses during veterinarian farrier visits. I just had that sort of intuitive connection. And I think it was from growing up, you know, rehabilitating wildlife as a kid is mm-hmm. I, you know, I learned to read animals at a really young age mm-hmm. and 
how to interact with them. So you were living on, your family was living on a farm, right? Is that what you're saying? Right. And so what kind of animals, like, give us an idea of, like, what, what kind of creatures were around what you what your interaction with them was well we had a couple of different horses and i used to do work with um training and rehabilitating abused horses and we lived near a farm and um i used to go pet the little calves in the boxes when i was a little kid and then one day i found out the real story that they were veal calves and i've been vegetarian vegan ever since um the age of 14 Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. Calves. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's the worst to find out that we eat that, those things. Like it a big so old bad. cow isn't quite as, maybe not quite as bad. I don't know. I know. They used to lick my hands and I would feed them corn and they were like baby deer, which I loved deer. And like they, they, they just, and I would like look into their eyes and then I found out what was happening to them. And then that was. Like, I have never eaten beef since then. Holly looks like she's about to cry right now. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you, people. People, Let's change the subject. But you had, I I know you've talked about, we've talked about this before. Didn't you have, like, little animals that were out in the wild that your mom would bring in? We did. And we we lived next to a wildlife sanctuary. So we would rehabilitate wildlife. And, you know, we would baby, we would bottle feed, you know, baby bunnies whose moms had been hit by a car and help birds with broken wings. And I think from a young age, I learned that sometimes we did lose some, but to move on. And I think that's what's really given me the strength to do rescue for all of these years and not just have a complete meltdown like I've come close to a few times. (laughs) So you're able, you really, you really are connected to the animal world in that way, in a way of understanding it and kind of a intuitive level that people who are brought up like me in urban environment, more urban environments can, you just, you just can't, you know, it's a lang, it's like learning a language when you're young. Yeah, exactly. So was your, was your mother, were your parents really um, animal people too then? Yeah, they were. They they always have been. Um, mm-hmm. More human people than my both of them are Red Cross volunteers. My mom was on the National Disaster Red Cross team. Um, she actually came here for nine eleven, which was crazy. Wow, really? So all of this type of work has just been sort of something that's been a part of my life and a part of my soul. Um, but you know, it's like I also need a little variety, <laughs> right? And you're you have like a ridiculously fun spirit like you're somebody who is always like you know like you've turned me on to so many like interest interesting fascinating people i mean i i met reverend jen through you and so many amazing fascinating people and uh activities and like didn't you just go to like some what was it? A dolly just this week? Dolly like two oh, days. Oh, the Dolly ago. Parton drag. Yeah. How was that? that oh was my fun. god, it was so much fun. What can be more fun than Dolly Parton in drag? <laughs> so great. Yeah. So so you're you you um. It's really funny because you're such a um, like you know you're so connected to nature and animals, but like you're so urban too. You know. It's yeah. Really, <laughs> like you're so into the, like all the kinds of stimulation. You know, a million. Holly knows a lot of famous people, a lot of famous comedians, and you know, you, you um, 
you 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 kind of can rock both extremes, nature and <laughs> urban area, right? That makes sense. It's just because I'm weird and I just don't. I'm just, I don't know. I just go out there and I'm like, okay, this is what it is. Uh-huh. I have, I'm shameless, you know. I don't care about like, I, I'm shameless. I've, I've asked so many celebrities to like do things for my dog rescues because I'm shameless for for asking for animals. And I and think most people are grateful to do it too. You know, it's it's not like it's a bad thing. Um, yeah, you. I mean, I think yeah, you you you're kind of making it easy for them, giving them opportunities. Like you've had. Um, Janine Garofalo's on your show on your uh, uh, benefits a lot, and right. uh, David Cross volunteered for my rescue and uh, my flight program, and flew my own girl dog's um, father from Los Angeles to New York in a program to get dogs one by one on carry on flights. And uh, I'm still in touch with him, and he actually top secret might be popping in on a show I'm doing at the slipper room in August. Oh, all right. I just heard back from him this morning. (laughs) Uh, What day is that? Um, It's August 27th and it's going to be Tammy Faye Starlight doing her Blondie cover and Janine Garofalo and Rob Paravonian. And it's actually a repeat of a benefit we did in 2018, I believe it was, that was sold out and people still talk about how fun it was. And so I was like, you know what? All these people are still around. Let's just do it again. <laughs> so yeah. we're doing it. I mean, honestly, Holly's benefits, or I should say Waggy Tail benefits, are the best. Holly has a million rescue rescue volunteers. I've volunteered at them. And um, they're usually amazing events. And I want you guys to know that you can go to Waggy Tail Rescue. That's uh, right, waggytailrescue.org and um, look at, you know, and, and uh, get all the info, okay? And you can also um, sign up to volunteer, donate, um, and also foster. I actually loved, I never had a dog until, well, I got a dog through Holly, through Waggytail in uh, 2011 it was the first dog I ever had but before that because of my work schedule I would um, do some rescuing so that's how partly that's one one of the ways that I got to know Holly through wet uh, rescuing dogs and it's 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 so great. I used to call myself a dog slut because you get a different dog. You fall in <laughs> love with it, but then you give it to a good home, get a new one, you know. So anyway, um, so how did you come to New York and how did you get into the world of being a dominatrix? Well, I started coming up for the music scene, um, just riding up, uh, this guy who lived a mile from my grandmother in the sticks was a roadie for a band. And one day I took a trip up with him to New York and I just sort of fell in love with the music scene and started coming up here all the time. Um, I got my dream job internship at Rolling Stone magazine. I was going for journalism and I was working, um, you know, I was interning, I was taking, you know, credits and I was working a horrible um, waitressing job. And I went on vacation with my best friend from high school, Leslie, who the two of us were just always the ones into trouble. And then we had the third one, Marnie, who was the voice of reason, who usually talked us down. But Marnie wasn't along with us this time. 
She was a stop. She was yeah. she, she she was, was at home. Safety. She was safety. She, she, she was, was scared to go on this trip. Mm. <laughs> so we got into some but there, there are many, many little epic stories off of this trip that have led to um, kind of some incredible things down the line. But um, one of them was we were on the plane and she said, hey, you know, Fred is dating this girl. Fred was a guy. He was he was an ex-boyfriend of mine. And he's like, Fred is dating this guy who or this woman who spanks men and she gets paid a lot of money for it. And I was like, no way, really? She's, I was like, is there really such a thing? I had no idea. I was like, <laughs> I was 20 years old. I was completely naive, fresh to New York from Pennsylvania. Um, and so she was like, yeah. And so I got back to New York and I looked and she's like, I dare you to go into one of those places. And of course... <laughs> Ever since well, once somebody so plants the seed like, okay. in. So I still remember the exact words. It was in the back of the New York press and it said adult fantasy role play. No sex, no nudity, dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. And I was like, why not? So I had a bold day and I maybe did a little edible, called the place up and I went in and I was really just going in to have a look. And they were like, oh, you know, you're total all-american blonde you can really make money here wow and i was like i've gone this far i've got to try it so i did and i my first session was and i still remember with mistress ursula who lives in my neighborhood and i'm still friends with and Uh we run into each other at the grocery store all the time But I was like her little intern Ah. and that was my first session and um I was Mistress Victoria, and I ended up, you know, it became like a great deal for me because I would work like eight-hour shifts, and maybe I would see like, you know, three clients for Mm -hmm. an hour, and in between that time, I could study and do my schoolwork, whereas waitressing, you're just on your feet all the time. You don't have an opportunity to do jack shit. Right. So I graduated second in my class and with um, no college debt. Wow, that's amazing. Where did you go to school Queens College. Wow. Mm-hmm. Good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, yeah, that's such a um, great, great, it, I don't even want to say it's a trade off. It's a great way to, it's great. It's just great way and, to manage that way, manage that phase of your life. What a great thing to pay for college. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard because there are a lot of temptations, a lot of like, a lot of the girls who worked in the house I worked at got sucked into like the guy who ran it, um, dealt coke. So he would get them on coke. So basically, they would earn money and then buy coke from uh. him. Um, I just played dumb, kind of stayed away from everybody, did my own thing. I had one friend there, and we would just goof off together and um, kind of did my own thing. But. Um, and then from there, I went on my own. And I mean, it's actually, it's a lot of work. People don't realize the amount of work that actually does go into it. I can say genuinely, I had no idea. And even like now looking back on it, it's still like, I can't, I, it's hard for me to comprehend because there's so much time you have to spend marketing and talking to people and doing photo shoots and making appointments for people to bail, you know, and they're just, jerking off on bailing and it's 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 very frustrating it's very frustrating because you know it's like you'll have like you know you'll 
like nurture 10 clients and one of them will show. But it's, it's, it's still, you know, it it was the nineties. People had money to spend. Um, BDSM was a lot more taboo then. And so it was probably the prime time to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I couldn't have had a better time to do it. So it was less, it's probably a lot more, well, now every, you know, the porn business has totally exploded everywhere. Yeah. I mean, if you call it, do you consider that part of the porn business? I mean, you were, you were dressed or were you dressed? I mean, I guess there's some crossovers. I mean, I used to have the guy who used to like to fuck a blow up doll in front of me. (laughs) That sounds, (laughs) that sounds very, that just sounds entertaining. My thing was because I kind of didn't, I wasn't really, I mean, I listened to goth music. I was totally like into like, yeah. the, like the goth, like weirdo, like, but so I kind of actually had some of the outfits, but I'm an, I'm a nurturing, I'm a nurturing, kind human healing person by nature. So for me, it was really like an acting job, like challenging myself mm-hmm. to do something, to step out of the box and do something that. I really wouldn't do and also going to school for journalism I'm like this is going to give me some writing material (laughs) yeah so what was it like like how did you feel about the men that you interacted with like what 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 was what were I might do I sound really naive that I've never like been I've never yeah um you know I've got a big mouth I'm too complicated men men don't want to bother with me it's too much I, I talk too much, <laughs> but um, about bullshit. But um, so what, what did it like? How did you feel about the men? Did it change how you looked at men? Did it change? Like, were they all different? What were the, what were the, what were the dudes like? What was it like dealing with dudes on that level in that way? You know, it was really different. Um, some of them, I, I hated them and they sucked. Some of them I felt like some of them were just like I were gross um, and gropey and like just had utter disrespect for women. And this but some of the uh, most of them, um, I guess I had more of a curiosity mm-hmm. about because I really I was really interested in like the weird fetishes um, that kind of like the, a lot of a lot of the mainstream dumbs because that was their lifestyle. They really just wanted to do the. BDSM pain infliction uh-huh. back and forth and like really like some of them actually like you know they really enjoyed inflicting pain or they mm-hmm. really enjoyed fucking guys up the ass with dildos um mm-hmm. my thing was I just wanted to see the weirdest things that turn people on and try to figure out like why mm. and I actually had a lot of sympathy for them because you know a lot of them had wives and stuff and I felt really bad because like they were too embarrassed to tell their significant others or like people they knew in their personal lives that they had this fetish. So they had to pay somebody, which I'm glad I was, I'm glad they had somebody to pay yeah. to do it. You know what yeah. I mean? So for me, I was like, I felt like a therapist for a lot of them. You I know? can see that because it's a transactional relationship, which yeah. is a lot more honest than pretending that somebody's manipulating somebody. Exactly. Exactly. It was just like, you know, straight up honest like this guy this is what i want and i'm i'm actually still kind of friends with some of my clients or i became friends with them Mm -hmm. and 
But um, it's almost like being I mean, there's a certain like it's really funny. There's a nursing aspect to it. Right. Because yeah. was it, did you say your mother was a nurse? Why do I yeah. think that? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's a nursing aspect because you're dealing with the body mm-hmm. and healing. Really? Yeah. yeah. So did you have a specific type of clientele? They said, oh, that's one for Holly or. Well, I mean, you know, you know they, they, it was like kind of the typical like who people who came in were like the people in power who wanted to be like, you right. know, but yeah. when guys had like weird requests, you know, a lot of they like, ah, that's one for Holly. What? <laughs> that's one for Holly. Or, uh-huh. you know, I mean, they would get to choose, but I guess I sort of had like a, a little bit of like a reputation for being sort of instead of just like being really, really strict and mean, like my best friend there, she was like, she really liked to like, she liked to beat the shit out of guys and bruise them and ble- make them bleed. Oh. And she enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Where my was more like the playful, you know, mm. they said the, the guy in the dungeon described me once as the little girl in the sound box who looked cute and smiled at you and then kicked sand in your face when you got too close. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. So were you good at um, holding on to your boundaries? Did you know at, at that young age what your boundaries were? That's what that's what scares me or that's where that's what makes me protective of young women. Did you know like did you know your boundaries? I did. And if there's something I didn't want to do or I wasn't comfortable with, usually I would try it at least once. I mean, I wouldn't nice. like I never had sex with anybody like and my clients like, you know, as long as it's something that wouldn't hurt me, but like, you know, like double fisting. I didn't want to do it, but I tr- I knew I wasn't going to like it. Like two fists up a guy. But I tried it once and I was like, no fucking way I'm ever doing that again. But mm-hmm. um <laughs> but I would try but it once and then I would like. then I would say, "Okay, I'm not doing that again." So most of the time, um I, you know, I would try something unless it was like but I would draw my boundaries and I say, you know what? That's not something I'm going to do. Um, I never did scat. I couldn't shit on a guy. I couldn't oh puke on a God. guy. Peeing on a guy, I, I was fine with. But um, like, like, you know, if there's something that I wasn't into, it's just I would say no. So, um, so, so how did you feel? Did you did did the men? Like, did they seem sad or did they seem just like, what did you, how did, did it change the way that you looked at men or? Um, not really. I really, I mean, probably in some, there's some way it it has to affect your psyche, but as much as possible, um, I separated it. It did make it really hard, um, dating. Yeah. I, I really couldn't date. The only thing I could date was like, you know, I have to say it, drummers, you know. Drummers? <laughs> band what? guys. Band guys who with terrible lives who were unreliable. But to have like a relationship, it just really um it was almost like I had to choose between a career and a relationship because I tried doing normal dating and I guess my mind is more open than most people than than I had anticipated people's being. <sighs> And so um, I really, um, so then I just, I just focused on doing that guys out and I just did my own thing. And, you know, maybe that's why I started doing dog rescue. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So, so men, men couldn't deal with that at all. No. Did you try to hide it or were you just completely transparent? I'm, I've always, I was always transparent, you know, like I wouldn't say it on like on the first date, but it's like, 
you know, it's like you didn't announce it, but you didn't hide. Yeah. Because I mean, as far and like a lot of like a lot of the problem was the guys would be um, not believing that I wasn't having sex with them, which I was never naked. Um, They weren't allowed to touch me. I wasn't having sex. It was just, you know, a service unless it was like kissing my feet or something, you know, (laughs) right. Um, I didn't jerk them off, you know. Yeah, it was just it was a fantasy role play. And then, you know, I reserved my real sexy time for who you wanted to to have. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. I know it's kind of like it was an acting job. I would separate myself and go into character. But it, I, I mean, I can understand how it's hard for a lot of guys to deal. And then I realized also because I have a friend who no longer is with us, but he used to work at a club, Don Hills. And every time, and I used to ride down after working on the dungeon. I sometimes still be in my Dom Claire, Dom gear, and you know, show up at midnight and go to the to Beaver the dance party. And he would always go behind the van and pull his pants down. And he would say, is this the biggest dick you've seen today? And I would always say, oh my gosh, it's so much bigger than any penis I've seen today. And he'd be like, thank you. I feel so much better. And then he would let me in free. I love that. (laughs) I love that. That's hilarious. But I realized like a lot of guys probably had like some sort of thing like I've seen a bigger or more appealing looking Uh, dick than mine. Oh, you're probably right. But it doesn't mean I I haven't even thought about that. That doesn't mean I want to fuck or suck it, you know? (laughs) You know, it's so weird. I think this is true. Do you? I think that men are really... Women... I don't think women think about penis size that unless it's very extreme one way or the other. And I don't think it's preferable when it's extreme one way or the other either. Do you think women think about... Do you think men think about that a lot more? I think they do. And I think, like, for women, it's like... We all have an, have an appropriate, we all have something that seems to work for us. Like too big is too big, too little is too little, too, this yeah. is, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, right. yeah. it's, it's, and usually it's not, it, it is, it's like what's behind it. It's like really like, I'm more attracted to somebody who's like, somebody can have like the nicest looking penis in the world. And if he's just like an asshole or an idiot, I'm like. I'm not get away from me. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want like, it. like, it's, don't you think that's kind of like the last, or like in the hierarchy of things that you want out of a guy? Like, that's pretty low, 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 low preference. As long as it's just average or yeah, normal. Yeah, you want it to be. It's supposed to be fun. You know what I mean? It's, it's supposed to be fun, not just like a work to make this tool do something for me. Otherwise, I would just get a dildo. Yeah. You know, like why I'd get a dildo and a vibrate and wouldn't have to deal with an asshole if all I wanted was just like a, you can buy a penis of any size, shape, whatever on the Internet. Yeah. Yeah. So did you do you feel like that you understand men in a certain way that that better or in a new different way than you might have otherwise or? Yeah. Would you, would you learn about the dudes? What can you tell us? <laughs> tell us. <laughs> What are we missing? What, I mean, I imagine you um, really understand the range of nuance in what men want sexually and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So what what do you think? What, what do you think? I mean, you definitely learned a lot. You learned because a lot of it you have to study body language and reaction to what you're doing. Like if you have a writing crop and I'm doing something, you, you study their reactions and so... 
you have to have an intuition, even like just like you do with animals. You have an intuition. You read their body language. You read their eyes. You see, you know, for humans, it's usually they have like, you know, there's a safe word. And it's like, you know, usually like green means go harder. Yellow means, hey, slow down. I'm about at my max. And red means, hey, threshold stop. Mm-hmm. And so you can use those communication skills, especially as you're getting to know somebody to sort of just, you know, because mm-hmm. everybody's got a different tolerance. Everybody's got a different feel for what they like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, you know, there is something kind of like, I don't know if s- sad is a word, but just how our civilization has just gotten in the way of people being transparent about these kinds of things. What, you know, what they really want to do, what they want, what they want from somebody else, what they want to share. Do you think that um, men, um, do you think a lot of it is imprinting? Like, do you think it's like they get imprinted or where do you think like all these uh, kinks come from? Do you have any thoughts on that? Or I think it's a whole bunch of different things. I think some of it is just, you know, like everybody's born with different like quirks um, mm-hmm. of some sort, whether it be, you know, I don't know, um, just weird likes and dislikes that are not really explainable. Yeah. And then and then sometimes it's maybe they're born with a tendency and then they're tuned. Like I've had guys who have told me that they remember getting their first erection or the first time they came was when they were like being spanked over their babysitter's lap or, you know, when, mm. when spanking was the thing or when they were crawling around under the kitchen table mm-hmm. and, you know, around their aunt's feet under at Thanksgiving, you know, just being a little kid worm or whatever mm-hmm. or something that they saw on TV that just. Mm-hmm. I, I sometimes think that men are more biologically controlled by their sex drive or sex proclivities. Do you think that's true? I think so. Yeah. Um, There's actually also been some neurological studies. Um, There's a study on the phantom limb syndrome that actually found that there's some sort of a nerve between the feet and the sexual organ, the sexual stimulus of the brain that gets crossed. And that's a reason for um, foot fetish. And it's just like a like a genetic like bleep. Wow. And so that triggers some of the foot fetish stuff. Wow. Is foot fetish is really com- common? They're very, very common. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've seen, I remember as a, ki- as a kid, as a young person l- thinking about experimenting, getting paid for foot stuff because there was so much of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, wow. So you, you, must I mean that's like a fascinating way to really understand the other you know to understand the male male sexuality yeah and and how it motivates them right yeah yeah did anyone ever fall in love with you did you ever wind up dating any of these people or I never ended up dating anybody I um or like you know I just I really kept it separate I became friends with some. I did have a few stalkers, mm. um, which one, <laughs> there was only one that was like really bad. And fortunately, he he found out where I lived and he parked himself in front of my apartment for two weeks in my car and his car like, except for 
waiting. And um, I wasn't even in town. I was in California. And uh-huh. I found out he was there. And then I told one of my friends who was a bodyguard to, to get him, you know, tell him to get lost. Ah, <laughs> so you, had, you had protection. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't really sound, were you ever threatened? It doesn't sound particularly threatening. No, I was never threatened. You know, it's like, you know, there were always people that I kind of got to know. Um, usually I got to you know, I got to know them outside and, and mm-hmm. got a good feel for them. Usually I would see like, you know, yeah. at least a copy of like the real ID and I have their phone numbers and, um, yeah, but, and I've also respected discretion. Like I've never given the name. I've actually, I've seen some celebrities into this day. I won't tell anybody mm. who, you know, it's just, that's my personal thing is like um i really i really believe in i think sex i think personally i think sex work um should be a you know a natural i think it's a natural part of society should be a natural part of society because there are things that all of us want women want men everybody doesn't matter what what gender you identify with or who you are. We all want to have sexual things and we want to have control. We want to be able to get what we want when we want it in a sort of, it doesn't, it can be in just like a transactional way, which um, I think, I think transactional sex is actually kind of healthy and very different from sex with a partner or a lover do you does that make sense to you absolutely absolutely and society has no clue about that right right it's like you know it's there's the emotional aspect and then there's some people it's just like they it's like people need to i don't know they want to go for a swim or they want to you know do or, something else. or they want to have sex right now or That's they the or or like a lot of times when i was single and i was single a lot like almost all through my 30s on and, on and off, on and off, not the whole 10 years, but, and um, there were so many times, and in my day, you couldn't do this, I would have just rather had somebody come over, pay them, and have them leave. Yeah. Like, I had a boyfriend exactly. who said, who said <laughs> women, women want that too sometimes. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yes. And it's normal, because I wound up having to, like, I'd get so, like, I haven't had sex in so long, that I'd wind up like getting bleary eyed and dating somebody just because I hadn't had sex and then thinking I wanted to date them. Yeah. And I think men, that happens a lot with men too. They don't talk about it as much. But um, I think, I think that I'm hoping that, I mean, sex work is becoming a lot more integrated into society. And I think it should be like a very legitimate business respectable business some people are actually like like i think that you were performing a service like you understood these people and you had your own boundaries and i think that you were like you said you're you probably did some healing i'm thinking right did you feel like that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay we got it we got to get you guys got to get on the get on the stick about like um <laughs> sex work and sex workers it's really fine it's really fine we would all be better if we could access that in a respectable way and there is something very respectable about it right 
There you go. That's my lecture. So I want to um, – so you started rescue – let's talk a little bit about um, – your relationship with the with the canine world. <laughs> so you started rescuing dogs just kind of naturally, just organically, or what have how did how did you build I mean Waggy Ta- I want these people, these listeners, you guys, you have to understand what a large um organization is that Waggy Tails is that Waggy Tail is that Holly runs. It's a very large organization it's been around almost probably close to 20 years now 18 years something like that it was started in 2003 officially 2004 we became 501c3 so yeah you've, (laughs) you've managed i mean i mean i know from being with you last spring when we went to you know spending time with you for an extended period that you're really a manager of a fairly large organization and that I mean, I remember you saying, you know, I want to, I want to be with the dogs, but you know, I have to like organize everything. Like most, a lot of what you have to do now is deal. You have a large, I don't know if you call it staff or whatever. You've got a mil, you've got a lot of volunteers. I have the most amazing group of volunteers, and like I could not ask for better volunteers. And it's really great because we're all very different, and we kind of like, you know, we fill in each other's pieces. Like for me like sitting like doing data entry like I would rather stab myself repeatedly (laughs) in the stomach (laughs) where I have some people who find it relaxing and you know (laughs) so it's uh, you know we've been able to find it's like people we all have the same passion we have the same goal and we've just been able to sort of combine our weaknesses and our strengths to make everything really um everything roll and it's been yeah great. it's it's an amazing community i mean i'm i've i there have been periods where i've been pretty involved and um i've met incredible people and everybody is always so positive and helpful and um you know a pleasure really to be around and um i find that really i think i don't know what it is but if it's I'm sure a lot of it has to do with you, the way that you treat people and, you know, how great the dog the dog species is. But, I mean, I just want to tell you guys, one of the things that I really appreciated when I started working with, you know, rescuing or fostering, I should say, fostering dogs was that um, there's um, your organization, Holly, was very, very supportive. And if I had to a trip came up a business anything and i really had to go somebody would always come and take the dog right um and i didn't have to do a lot of work to find people to take the dogs and the joy of getting a dog who is so afraid of you afraid of humans from a dog a kill shelter where holly gets them and then um having it in your home and seeing it blossom and then the joy when somebody comes and gets it and takes it home and then you hear about it like they are so happy I mean you know there was somebody I heard from for like 10 years after they I helped them adopt a dog I mean it's 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 really like a a really positive experience yeah yeah so um what where we have 15 minutes left well really just 
a little bit less because you know I have to uh, I have to push the show push push Radio Free <laughs> Brooklyn course. and everything else. Well, but um, so um, what else is going on? Like what's going on with the um, rescue now? What's going on? What what have you been involved in lately? Well, um, we definitely want to do some more Tijuana um, involvement. And, um, you know, it's like, also, I, um, I started doing CBD products for pets because I have a boy who was my unadoptable dog. And I have to say he was on Prozac, everything. CBD is the only thing that actually helped him. And I use CBD for fibromyalgia. So I started doing a lot of studying. I did some online classes. I did some market research. I was able to use the animals in my rescue to, you know, to try to see with Mm -hmm. different products. And, you know, I I tried from different sources and I found a source that really works. And um, so I've been doing, it's called Cannabody Kitchen and Cannabody Butter, which is like this, it's peanut butter, but it's the consistency of cookie dough because I use isolate powders and I use add glucosamine. And so you can sort of get the size of, um, a ball you want of, you know, instead of like a goopy peanut butter, like, a, you know, running all over the place. Mm-hmm. So if your dog is really stressed out, you can like scoop out a big ball or you can get a little ball if it's just a little. So I've started doing that. And I guess the most re- reaffirming thing was my own veterinarian who was like, if you, he, you know, he looked into it and he's like, all right, I've looked and I don't believe any of this hocus pocus stuff works, but he's like, it doesn't hurt anything he's like they can like literally a dog could drink a whole bottle and Mm -hmm. it wouldn't do anything it's not toxic he's like it doesn't Mm -hmm. interfere with any medicines i see so he's like you know what if you believe in it go for it his bulldog had such bad arthritis and nothing was helping it Mm. so one of his vet techs gave who believed me with the cbd gave it says gave some of my cbd and i get this call on my phone i'm like holly can you bring me some more of that hocus pocus CBD <laughs> stuff. And, and and for the last two years um, of his bulldog's life until she finally passed away, he would like panic if he was running low on it. Oh, wow. So that was like, you know, because that was really to see somebody who was completely in disbelief that it worked mm. and a veterinarian mm. who had resources to everything. And so that made me really feel good. So I feel I, I love doing a product that helps um, and so I'm also starting a new business, um, and I'm, it's waggytime.com. I'm putting together my website. And what I want to specialize in is I don't have a certificate in training. Um, I'm getting certified. I could probably train some trainers from all of the experience uh, uh, I had. No, no doubt. Um, my specialty has always been the most fucked up animals and rehabilitating them. But what I want to really do is focus on there's a lot of dogs that have come from the south to the city and they don't know how to navigate sidewalks. They don't know about apartments or if people are having a baby or a new partner or there's some sort of a lifestyle change. And that can be really difficult on animals. And a lot of times people don't really know how to read the animals. They don't know how to communicate and they don't know how to work them through these periods and that's a lot of the reason why people get very frustrated and end up in either just perpetual frustrating situations or end up giving the dogs up and a lot of it can be fixed with just some like basic understanding and you know it's like 
each individual animal is unique in personality. And so, you know, going in there and with my ability to sort of, you know, mm-hmm. read each animal mm-hmm. and tell the person how to communicate. So that's what I want to, and, you know, I, unfortunately, one of the, one of the things I've faced as a dog rescuer is I'm not paid to do this and people, um, think that I should do everything with animals for free and free advice, but I need to eat. I have my own dogs to pay for. Mm-hmm. I have, and you know, my source of income after COVID has been really screwed. And so I don't feel any shame in making some money off of animals because it's my passion. I have dedicated years of free work to it and free experience. And I feel like it will asset both humans and me. Well, you're kind of like a scientist about it. I mean, but self, mostly, you know, self-trained, things that you can't learn in a book, like reading an animal. Exactly. I mean, it's like um, like a mother and a child, like the mother knows what you can't, you can't teach that. Yeah. Um, and it's a highly tuned um, instrument that you have. And it, yeah, what so people can 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 hire people can hire you to do this. Right. And like so how would it work? Like you can actually just kind of like watch the animal and the human and get a is it like therapy? Is it like what I do? <laughs> no, I mean can you kind of like watch the animal and the person interact and then think like Right. And usually like I'll get like some notes like you know what's the daily routine? And also, you know, um, I can help them, you know, with canine enrichment, which is sort of a new career. I'm getting certified in that as well, which is basically how to make your dog the happiest it can be. You know, a lot of dogs are destructive because they're bored or they have different behavior problems. Um, and a lot of it is is just like miscommunication, misreading the animals so I'm just starting my website. It's waggytime.com and it's waggytime at gmail.com, W-A-G-G-Y-T-I-M-E at gmail.com. And so if anybody's interested in that, and I also, um, I teach pet first aid and CPR and do the CBD business. So I'm kind of or- incorporating the whole thing into sort of one, you know, comprehensive way to help people and animals and hopefully you know expand it and get some help once I get going but I think it's it's something that we really need did you know that 40 percent of American households have dogs in their families right now wow it's incredible it's an all-time high I kind of love that right that's according to um uh, actually a study I just read last night from the American Kennel Club I kind of love that right yeah it's amazing yeah dogs not not guns yeah you know? exactly exactly you know why 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 don't i mean that's positive we should be talking about that yeah um so do people do you go to like somebody's home and observe or how does it work yeah i'll go to the you know i'll go to the home and i'll like you know spend some time with the person and the dog and i'll just see how they're interacting and then you know mm-hmm. just give some suggestions and and you have like a whole bag of tricks like you know everything you know the veterinarian system you know like the dog hospital system you know the whole like nutrition cbd stuff like you you have such deep experience that um it isn't just like you've been trained in an area or worked at a vet 
Right. So, and um, and also you said dogs from the South are more, why, why, what is different about dogs from the South, say? Well, a lot of dogs come, especially right now, it's like for two dogs to like mate and have puppies on the streets of New York and survive, it just doesn't happen. So most of the dogs that we're bringing in from like Texas, Alabama, Tijuana, they've never seen the streets of New York. And so they could be friendly with other dogs, but a lot of them have, you know, issues like it's called leash aggression where they don't know how to behave when they're held to a leash and they see another dog and um, it's frustrating for them. You know, they, Mm. they need to learn to navigate the skills Mm -hmm. of, you know, walking on a leash, um, the fears of like skateboards and things like that. And just, really to gain confidence and you know it, it's got to be really scary um like it would be for a human you know? or a child or yes. anybody or anybody coming to visit this city people won't come here by choice yes and a lot of people really misread the dog's signals mm-hmm. and so they're, they're doing their, the best to their ability and they are thinking that they're doing the best and i mean it's like i can't you can't like you know like hate them for it but they aren't doing what's best for the dog because they aren't understanding the dog. Like if a dog is wagging its tail, it doesn't mean it's necessarily happy. Right. Different things mean different things. It could mean that it's just really excited or overstimulated. So you have to be able to sort of tell the difference between, you know, the different body, um, the body signals because dogs give body signals more than facial expressions. We Mm. give facial expressions to show the difference in our demeanors, where as dogs, it's more they give body language. It's mm. their ears, their tails, mm. their the way they stand. And it's, you know, it's a different language, just like, you know, any other language to learn to read. Mm. And mm. once you read it, it's just, it's so helpful. Right. And it also sounds like um, a f- that um, you're, I mean, not all of them, but there sounds like there's a lot of easy fixes in there because once you can sort of explain the dog's behavior to the human, then they it makes sense to them, right? And they're like, oh, I won't hold her that way or pet her that way or I'll put the leash on at this point instead of in the home or whatever, whatever you, you right. can tell. And it's like, I have my own boy dog. I, I'm the first one to say he's the only dog I've not been able to fix because he was so messed up, but I manage him, you know, and, and he's a very happy dog and He's, you know, he's managed and I know how to, he's like a special needs child. Mm-hmm. And, but I just know what to do with him. And, you know, he's a little snuggle bunny and my girl is his therapy dog. And mm-hmm. so, you know, some dogs, most dogs can be rehabilitated. Some of them are just never going to be a hundred percent, but there's always a way to learn how to manage it so that mm-hmm. you can still have happy mm-hmm. lives together. So if anybody's having any kind of frustration with, their dog i mean i love that because it's so much bigger than like like we you know we think of um you know we think of like if we have problems with our pets our dogs uh we take them to a dog trainer or we take them to a specialist but what you're talking about is just something in intuitive that you can't really get at a veterinarian or anywhere else really if you ask me it's kind of an and I have seen you with dogs. I mean, it's crazy. Holly is the dog whisperer. I mean, it's crazy. Like, I remember 
guys when like I went with Holly to um Tijuana we were in this like cement uh dog rescue like a big yard and run by two just local women you know pretty poor I think and um the dogs were quite charming I mean I never felt I don't know I felt like I was in love with all of them like it, they, there was a really good feeling there, and um, you, it felt like you were very much in control of the situation, and the whole place knew that, right? Is that what it felt like for you? Is that what it feels like for you? Yeah, I mean, well, I was with all the people who knew, but it's like you know, just you just have to know how mm-hmm. to, you know, to interact. We we yeah. saw like that one that I don't know if you that that one fluffy one that nobody could catch, and just sat down and didn't look at her, and <clears throat> just. Gave her her time and backed up to her and, you know. And they know you get it. Yeah. And you're also involved with a network of other rescues right around the country. Yeah. And tell us about that a little bit. So I work, like, Tijuana is is my heart and soul. And I started that. That was my mission impossible. Um, started years ago. And what's wonderful is this place, like, we've, I've seen like the foster homes are basically these just basically junkyards that these women, this woman, Berta is like the main foster and she lives in it. And we've used some of the funds that we've raised to like rebuild, to make her a safer place to live. Mm. And she has the biggest heart and she takes care of these dogs. And in exchange, she gets groceries and food and she, you know, she brings them to the vet and she prides them you know gives them care um so you're really helping the community as well right it's a um, really yeah it's a really positive thing we're going to run out of time so i want to make sure that you just give us all the um information to contact you about any and all of this anything from i mean if you know holly's an open book if you want to talk about being a dominatrix or going to a dominatrix whatever you want you could do that or find out about some getting some help for your dogs or if you're thinking about rescuing or fostering a dog, any of that holly's an open book so give us all your info so you can uh for dominatrix info you can email me as i was super mistress victoria was my name and i still have supermistress at gmail.com and i have nyc bitch academy that's still on facebook that i may or may not reactivate and um for any kind of the dog training that's my own girl (laughs) angelina come here um for for my dog training services it's waggy time w-a-g-g-y-t-i-m-e at gmail.com and for rescue you can just go to the website waggy tail rescue w-a-g-g-y-t-a-i-l R-E-S-C-U-E dot org. And we've also got a big presence on Facebook and Instagram. And stick around. Stick around. Keep it on on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Um, don't forget to go to our website. Sign up for our newsletter. We're going to be having a lot of...